0: God bless. Good morning. So, close your eyes for a second and hear this with me. (laughs) Well, I won't back down. No, I won't back down. You can stand me up at the gates of hell, but I won't back down. No, I'll stand my ground. I won't be turned around. And I'll keep this world from dragging me down. Gonna stand my ground. Can you hear it? Can you hear the melody? Is it stuck in your head? (laughs) You're gonna tune out the rest of what I say because you're gonna be hearing that song in your head the rest of this morning. (laughs) There's just something about a good melody. There's just something about a well-written song that moves us, that hits us right where we are, maybe. From Bach to Beck, from Petuni to Petty, (laughs) across history, cultures, continents, people groups. There's just something about a well-written song. Tom Petty said in an interview once, and that's why I thought I'd start with him, with his song lyric. Tom Petty said in an interview once, when they were asking him, how do you write songs? What's the process? And he said, well, what do you mean? And they said, well, do you start with a melody? Do you start with words? Do you start with an idea? And And he just kind of sat back in his chair and he thought about it for a second, and he said, well, I think God's already written all the songs, and if you're lucky, you just get to reach up and channel one. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he was stoned out of his mind when he said that. <laughs> but he wasn't wrong. <laughs> There's something really beautiful about that. And as we've gone through this Inspire series, as Sam's gone through it, and uh, you know we've talked about uh, you guys can refresh my memory, but we've talked about art. We've talked about thought, thinking, philosophy. We've talked about creating, dancing, and poetry. All these things, they kind of cross-pollinate to, to some extent because this is, this is in the divine nature of God. These are the things that flow forth from him. And, and to some extent, then, they are also part of our DNA. They breathe life. They make life better. Not just for the people who get to be involved in the writing or painting or philosophizing or uh, dancing, but for anybody who enjoys beauty. And that's the way we're all wired. So, um, one little scripture to start. Romans one twenty says this. It says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Now that's a little verse in the middle of a great big context, but essentially what Paul says in this one verse is he says that, that what we see in creation is an extension of who God is. So even if you aren't... He's basically saying there's no excuse not to recognize that this is who God is. So, we see the wonder of creation, but do we always wonder at the creator? Sam's hinted at this a few times too when we've gone through this series because, again, all of these things that we've talked about have a certain thing in common. So, Why are there colors? Have you ever thought about that? What if everything was just black and white or gray? Why are there colors? Why do flowers give off a pleasing fragrance? Why are our eyes greedy to take in a perfect rainbow? Why do we all have an innate sense of awe when we catch a sunset at the beach or the first blanket of snow in the winter? Why when we hear a poem much like We heard last week from Brian, why does it move us? When we hear a symphony, we might think, wow, that's beautiful. And I guess the bigger question I'm asking is, why why do we recognize beauty at all? Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, Never lose an opportunity of seeing anything that is beautiful. For beauty is God's handwriting. Beauty is God's handwriting. So we see, it in, we see it in the mountains where we live, right? We see it all the time. Unless it's really smoggy, then we miss it. But where we live, it's right in our faces all the time. We can drive an hour and see the beach. And maybe you, like me, have sat at the beach and felt this... The the majesty, you you get this sense of this is so enormous and I am so small and God made all of this and he still sees me where I am in my trouble and my sinfulness or whatever it might be and here he is reaching out to me because he loves me. But all of this, beauty is God's handwriting and I love that so much. We recognize it because it's in our DNA. As children of the Most High God, the ultimate artist, the all-time greatest creator, thinker, and poet, who gives us color and scent and visual and auditory sensations because it is good. And he said that when he created it. Here's the sky, and it's blue, and it's good. It's beautiful. It's pretty. And I'm going to share this with my creation so that they can admire it as well. He loves to see his children enjoy what he has made for us. So when we add music today to our list, I might ask, is music spiritual? And of course it is. Like I said, in every people group, in every period of history over all the earth, music is a central part of every culture. Did you know, you might know this, that when a baby is in the womb, ears start to develop and work around 18 weeks. 18 weeks into the pregnancy. And the first sound that we all hear is the rhythm of our mother's heartbeat. It's in us. It's part of who we are. It's part of the way God has designed it. That is not a design flaw. It is God's design. And he is the ultimate creative. And God loves music. (laughs) So let me get biblical. I'm going to run through just, just some, some statistics kind of things here right now. So Psalms accounts for over 7% of the Old Testament. Did you know that? 7% Psalms. And am I double dipping? Because we talked about Psalms last week when we talked about poetry. <laughs> but most of the time, a lot of times, and especially David's Psalms, when you read through them, these are words, these are poems, but they are to be set to music. And it says so, right at the in, the in the beginning of the of the before the first stanza. This is to be set to a certain melody, a certain rhythm, and these are songs. There is song lyrics throughout the Bible. In addition to the Psalms, we also find these kind of songs written in such books as the Song of Solomon or Ecclesiastes. In the New Testament, song lyrics are recorded in Revelation five. 7 and 15 the example of the apostles singing is in acts 16:25 mary's magnificat in luke chapter 1 the angel's announcement of the birth of jesus in luke 2 these are all songs and in ephesians 5:19 the church is commanded to communicate with each other with psalms and hymns and songs from the spirit He says, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. James tells us in James 5.13, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. The first mention of a musician in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 4. Old Jubal. (laughs) Jubal is his name. And it says, he was the father of all who played stringed instruments and the pipe. Do you guys know that Jesus sang? Did you know that? He imagined he would, but it tells us so in Matthew twenty six thirty. They sang hymns together. Music and singing and songwriting, it's all over the pages of Scripture. Just like all the other expressions in the series that Sam has put together, it is part of the divine nature, and so then, and therefore, it is part of ours as children of God deep in the middle of what they call the minor prophets in the Old Testament, uh, nestled between Haggai and Habakkuk, there is a little three-chapter book called Zephaniah. Maybe not the first place you go to for morning devotion, but Zephaniah is in there. And Zephaniah was a prophet, which means he spoke for God. He spoke up for God. He had a, a Burden that he had to deliver to the people of his time. And Zephaniah has an interesting story because he's actually the great-great-grandson of Hezekiah. So the last good king of the kingdom of Judah. Now the kingdom was divided at this time, so there is the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. And he is the great-great-grandson of the last great king. And here he is growing up, and and the new king is Josiah, who's the new, he's a good king too, but he's new. And he's seeing this transformation happen in the people because they have a good leader. But for too many years, bad kings, also in his bloodline, led people through a time of complacency and idol worship. And um, here he is, kind of coming alive, and, and God is speaking to him. And he has, it's so, maybe, maybe this has happened to you before. The, the the Lord says something to you that is so burdensome that you have to get it out. The kingdom of Judah had just a few faithful kings. And so here he is, and his message is, is really actually hard to read. Because for two and a half chapters of three, it's just dark. It's just warning after warning and declaration after declaration. And just to to kind of sum it up, uh, I'm going to read Zephaniah chapter 1 and verse 12, where he says this. He's speaking for the Lord. I'll find and punish those who are sitting it out, fat and lazy, amusing themselves and taking it easy, who think God doesn't do anything good or bad. He isn't involved, so neither are we. But just wait. They'll lose everything they have, money and house and land. They'll build a house and never move in. They'll plant vineyards and never taste the wine. It's bleak, and it gets worse. So here he is living in the time of people who are just complacent, who are just saying, like, Yeah, I mean, God exists, but he's kind of checked out. He just lets us do what we want to do, so let's just do what we want to do. We don't have to follow this guy because he's not involved in our lives. And God is saying, no, that's actually the opposite of what is true. But the culture had led them to this place. Kings and leaders and neighbors and everybody else, these people were just, like it says, loose translation, fat and lazy they'll plant vineyards and never taste the wine. What a bummer. For the bulk of his book, he tells how bad it's going to be for these people who are complacent, who, have, who, who believe that God exists, but have essentially decided he's not that important. For those who should know better, but they squander the love of God for something lesser. I said that's two and a half chapters. So then the last part of chapter 3, there's a turn, thank God. Because he turns his focus on what we would call the remnant, are those who still love God, who, who still see in the middle of a hopeless time that there is hope, who, who still see that in the darkest of times there is good. And the faithful, the beloved, he looks to the future. He sees the work of the Messiah. He sees what it's going to be like, and it's beautiful. And he says this. This is Zephaniah 3, starting in verse, uh, I think I said 14. I said 15, but I'm going to start in 14, so give me one first. He says, sing, daughter Zion. Sing, He tells them to sing. He's talking to these people in the middle of a land of complacent people, in the middle of a land who are turning their back on God, he sees those who haven't. And he says, sing, tells them to sing. Daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. And then verse 15, he says, the Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. And verse 16, on that day, they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. And verse 17, really take this in. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. So I know that was a lot to grasp, and context can get confusing because I just smashed a big book into a little short time. But let me summarize. The kingdom was split, and after Hezekiah, there was two kings of Israel who led the nation down a dark road. And now there's a new king, Josiah. He's a reformer. He's rediscovering what it means to worship God, and he's leading his people that way. And Zephaniah speaks out against all the junk that was taking place among God's people. He essentially echoed what Paul would say later. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Don't claim to be his child if you're not engaging in life as his child. Don't fake it. Don't pretend. But he looks forward. He looks forward and he sees the faithful. He sees what no one else sees. He sees hope when there is no reason to hope. He sees faith when everyone else is turning away. He sees heart even when there's doubts. He sees that you are holding on with every last fiber. And he says that God looks out and he sees you and he writes a song for you and he sings over you. God sings over you with rejoicing, with joy. God writes songs about you. Is that beautiful? Have you thought about that before? We sing songs to God because we love him and we admire him. It's almost overwhelming that he would look at us and sing. I remember seeing uh, Rob Bell some time ago and he asked a question He said, what do you think of when you think about God? That's a big question. A.W. Tozer wrote a book called The Knowledge of the Holy, and it starts in the first couple of verses. He says the same kind of thing. He says, what we think, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so Rob puts that in question form. What do you think of when you think of God? Is it, is it the old man in a cloud with a long white beard? Do you think of Jesus, maybe? He, eventually, he answers his own question like this. He says, when I think about God, I hear a song. A song that moves me. It has a melody and a groove and a certain rhythm It's a song that people have heard for thousands of years across continents and cultures and time periods. People have heard this song and found it captivating and they wanted to hear more. Others have always said that there is no song, that the music doesn't exist, but the song plays on. And Jesus came to show us the way to live in tune with the song. The song is playing all around us all the time. It's written on our hearts And the question isn't whether you're playing the song. The question is, are you in tune? I was listening to NPR the other night on my long drive in L.A. traffic home, and I heard this story about um, the actress. Her name is Mary Steenburgen, married to Ted Ted Danson, um, Oscar award-winning actress. And uh, she's, on a, she's on a new show now, but I haven't seen her for a long time. But anyways, it was interesting because she told this story about going under for a minor surgery, being put on, uh, under. And she said it was no big deal. It was outpacing, You know, she went home the next day, uh, but it was an arm injury. But she said when she woke up, when she came to from being put out, she said everything in her brain had changed. Weird. But she said, it was almost like my thoughts became music. And they interviewed Ted Danson, and he was like, it was it was strange. I mean, he said she was still the same woman, but it was like everything was different. And they pressed him, like, what does that mean? And he said, well, for example, we went on vacation that summer, and it was the first time in our, in our marriage, and as far as I knew, in her life that she'd ever sat down, she said, hey, I wrote a song, and I want to play it for you, I want to sing it for you. And she wrote a song. And he said by the end of the summer, she'd written 45 songs. Something She said something turned on in my brain that I'd never had access to before. And it's pretty cool because this year she was actually up for an Oscar again for a song this time that she had written for another movie. So just incredible the way we're wired. It's incredible that we have all this you know, testimony throughout the scriptures of, of people that were just... David playing before Saul to soothe his spirit when he was being spiritually attacked. We, we have all of this, all the way from Genesis 4 and all the way to the book of Revelations, filled with music. And everywhere we go, and I just, I loved the the, the Bell idea that this is, this you know, I, don't, I personally never thought of a song when I think about God. But it's a beautiful expression because there's a lot in being a follower of Jesus that is really hard to understand. And we try to simplify it as best we can. Sometimes we oversimplify it. But having a relationship with someone you can't see is just challenging. It's just, it just is. And some time ago I read a book by Philip Yancey. It's called... Uh, uh, reaching for the invisible God. And he wrote about this. He wrote about his own challenges growing up in a Christian family and going to a Christian college and, and kind of knowing all the right answers and knowing the right things to say and and having kind of this tight-sealed, you know, what he thought of was this tight-sealed theology. But at some point when things started to get challenged, things started to fall off a little bit because he was like, I don't, you know, who, who am I talking to? I can't even see him. And he had to relearn how to relate to somebody like that. So if if we take Rob Bell's idea, his expression, just a little bit further, and then we could think about this, even if you're not a musician, you might be able to tell when my guitar's out of tune. Or you definitely have heard me sing bad notes. Because I stand out. And you're like, ooh, that's that not quite right. And I do it all the time. Sorry. But <laughs> but the idea is what he said is Jesus Jesus came to show us the way Jesus came to tune us up to take those bad notes and put them back in tune so that we could live in this symphony in this song and pick up our our instruments or pick up our lift up our voices and sing a harmony along with God's melody and make something beautiful and that is. The relationship that we have, that is relating. People, if, if you're not a musician, you, you don't always know this, but I could pick up a guitar and play a song with a complete stranger who also knows how to play an instrument without ever saying a word, without even speaking the same language, because they say music is the universal language, right? So, it, it's, it's and, and, and through that, I have countless friends in my life that I never would have met if it wasn't because of music. You might have the same thing if you play sports or you have a hobby. Um, you, you, have, you meet people in your life because they have similar interests. If the kingdom of heaven is like a song, and even if you're not a guitar player or a pianist or a tuba player, there's not enough tuba players in the world. You can join in the symphony by picking it up, by lifting your voice, by wiggling around until you find the right pitch. And when you do, and see God leads in ways like generosity and care for the poor, and reaching into the lives of people who are need, who need love and help god leads in all those ways everything that we see in the in the life of christ that's the symphony and every time we pick up our instrument or our voice metaphorically speaking and we join in with what he's doing we're part of that kingdom we're we're walking in our relationship with god we're in tune with the song there is so much to say about the creative engine of God and all he created in, in the world we live in. And the theological term is ex nihilio, right? The, he made out of nothing, he made everything. What he imagined, so it was. What came to exist was spoken forth by his creative power. And again, music is, as they say, the universal Language. You don't have to speak German to listen to Beethoven and be moved by his fifth symphony. You just know in the moment that you hear it that it is beautiful. It is vibrant. It's a masterpiece. And beyond that, it is, it is timeless. What if, what if the Christian life was just being tuned up what if everybody who is, who is, uh, is singing along with a song, what if everybody who is picking up an instrument and helping somebody else, who is loving on somebody who feels unlovable, who is lonely and just needs a friend, what if we are all just walking, singing, playing in the key of God? It's a beautiful thought. Music can change lives. Music can change the world. Music is given to us by the ultimate musician who sings over us, who finds a reason to sing over us, who inspires songs in us. It's beautiful. I'm going to close. I'm going to wrap it up. I want to read this verse from Paul as... uh, the message translation puts it. Paul, in Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. He says, summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, on things noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice, What you learned from me, what you heard and saw and realized, do that and God who makes everything work together. We sang that this morning. God who makes everything work together will work you into his most excellent harmonies. Father, we thank you so much for all these expressions, for all the beauty in the world that you put into place just for us to enjoy. The colors, the sounds the smells, the sights. You give us good things because you are good. You give us music and you sing over us and you call us in. And Father, I pray that we would be part of your song and this morning as we close with a song, I pray that you would receive this as we lift up our voices and our hearts and all that was within us asking you to lead us and guide us through this song, the song of life, the song of the kingdom, the song that you have been writing for thousands of years, and help us to be part of it in a beautiful way. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. May you dance in the rhythm of grace. May you join the song of God. May you find the melody and harmonize beautifully with it. And Lord, we ask for your guidance. We ask for your direction. Conduct us into a beautiful symphony. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week, guys. You have been listening to the Genesis podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com